0: You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news and Ayurveda,
1: where modern science meets ancient wisdom.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. John DeYard, and I want to welcome to our podcast. Uh, we're having an amazing discussion tonight with Dr. Bob Quinn, organic farmer, one of the original farmers of ancient wheat I want to talk to you about that. As you all know, I wrote a book called Eat Wheat, and we've been doing a lot of talking about how to navigate around toxically processed wheat, processed foods in general, and the benefits of that. And I am so delighted to have Dr. Bob Quinn here today with us. Uh, I think you're going to be really excited to hear directly from an organic farmer. And Dr. Bob Quinn is an organic farmer of 30 years Progressive leader in promoting organic and sustainable agriculture throughout his home state, the nation, and the rest of the world. In 1986, Quinn's company, Dr. Quinn's company, um, Montana Flour and Grains, introduced to the, natu- the natural food industry an in ancient weed called Corazon. It was marketed under the trademark Kamut which Quinn's family registered. That's their register with their trademark, CAMHUT, is him. So this is the Camut organic farmer who brought this to us. So how cool is that? How exciting is that to have him talk to us? Quinn's been involved in many organizations over the years, including Big Sandy Rotary Club, Montana Farm Bureau, Montana Grain Growers, Montana Organic Association, the Organic Trade Association, International Federation of Organic Agricultural Movements. Bottom line, is you know Dr. Bob probably has been one of the you know, maybe one of the earliest organic farmers in Montana. Clearly one of the first ancient wheat farmers that that and he's still growing today. So he was way ahead of the curve. We actually got our start sort of at the same time back in 1986. Uh, we were sort of trying to figure out what we're going to do with our life. Right. <laughs> That's and, right. <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome, Dr. Bob. It's so great. Well, to have thank you. you. Thank you. Um, I would love to hear, initially, how you got started. I mean, ancient wheat in 1986, I mean, organic wheat in
1: 1986 was sort of crazy. Tell me how it all started. Well, actually, it goes back to when I was in high school, so about in 1963. I was um, about a junior in high school, went to a county fair, and this old man, probably younger than I am now, was passing out um, this giant wheat in a coffee can, and he called me over and says, Hey, son, he says, you want to see some old King Tut's wheat? And I said, well, sure. So he walked over and he put a handful in my hand and it was a giant wheat. It was about three times the size of regular wheat. And the story went that uh, a fellow from our county in Montana had been in Portugal, went to the bar one night and a fellow airman, he was in the Air Force, said he had come back from Egypt and taken this grain out of a tomb in Egypt. That's what he said. And so he gave him 30 or 40 kernels, he sent it home to his dad, who started growing it in Montana, North Central Montana's wheat country, so he's very familiar with that. And it grew, and it was a giant wheat. It was very tall, this is what it looks like. It's kind of beat up from my airplane travel, but I carry some of my hat. you see Um, that? So I can show people. This is from King Tut's tomb. Well, that's what we were told.
0: It's granddad's. Granddaddy was
1: yeah, King Yeah, that's what we were told. So, um, how cool, how cool that? it was a great novelty and everybody loved the story, but they didn't have anything to do with, uh, know what to do with it. Yeah. So it just sort of disappeared after a while. I was um, attending graduate school at UC Davis about yeah. 14 years later. So in 77, I was eating a package of corn nuts one afternoon. And I got just got idly looking at the back of the package, and it said, Corn Nuts made with a giant corn. And I thought, wow, I wonder if they'd be interested in a giant wheat. So I called up Corn Nuts, and they were just in Oakland at that time, an independent company, not far away from where I was. And they said, oh, we might be interested in that. And I called my dad up right away, and I said, Dad, see if you can find some of that old King Tut's wheat. And he called me back in about a week, and he said, well, I found a little jar, um, about a pint, half full. And I said, well, send me a few spoonfuls, and I sent it to Corn Nuts. And a week later or so, <clears throat> they called back, or I called them, check it up, check up, check, check up on it. And they said, this is fantastic. This makes a fantastic snack. Uh, we'll take 10,000 pounds. And I said, oh, well, <laughs> we don't have 10,000 pounds. In fact, I don't even have two pounds. I said, but if you'll wait a few years, I'll plant it and grow it and we'd send it to California and grow it over the winter and we'd do it at our place in the summer. And, um, in about, three years, we had 50 pounds from our little handful. And I called up the Corn Nuts people, and I said, okay, we got 50 pounds, we're ready to seed a half acre of this stuff. And, um, and the guy I talked to was gone, they, no one even remembered the project, they weren't interested anymore, so we just put it on the shelf, and there it sat. And then in 86, the, the year you are mentioning, I had uh, by this time started a small flour mill to try to sell our, our wheat directly to whole grain bakers in California from Northern Montana, I'd come back to the ranch, in 78 after um, deciding I didn't really want to continue in academia. And um, uh, we went to a food show. My dad decided to take this little jar of of the ancient wheat, and he showed it to everybody that walked by. Thousands of people walked by our booth. And my cousin and I, who had started our our wheat and uh, flour milling business, had our pockets full of referrals by the end of the three-day show. My dad had one referral. We both thought we'd done well. So we went home, and we started the milling, and, and I helped my dad, and he helped me. We got the half, acre, half um, or the, the bushel, nearly a bushel, out of the shed, planted a half acre. That was 31 years ago. We started one half acre, and this next year, we'll be planting, this, this year, coming year, probably looking at 120,000 or acres from out Montana, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, all organic.
0: Really, and it all came out?
1: Yep, all sold under the, um, the trademark of Kamut.
0: Wow, wow. So when you talk about wheat, you know, back then, you mentioned you sold it to the whole grain industry. Yes. Can you tell us the difference between whole grain, refined grain? What happens to wheat in this processing process? Can you take well, us through
1: that, that whole step? Um, uh, <clears throat> best I can, yeah. I, uh, there's actually several steps that have gone on and um, as you very well know that the seed itself has been changed greatly to primarily uh, to please the industrialization of our food. In this country we've had one main goal and that's cheap food. And um, now we're starting to understand that this cheap food is coming to us at a very high cost. And it's a cost we don't pay at the checkout counter. It's a cost we pay later in, in how we feel and our diseases and chronic uh, things that are happening to us. Um, That's what's happening. But because of that drive to make cheap food, everybody want higher yields. So the farmers wanted higher yields, so they made wheat that was shorter, more disease resistant, um, uh, more able to respond to chemical applications and make much higher yields. The millers wanted higher yields, so they made wheat that had a higher brand. So it's easier to flake off. So you had more white flour, so they had higher yields. Uh, the bakers, <clears throat> they wanted higher yields. They wanted to be able to make more loaves of bread with less pounds of wheat. And they were able to do that by changing the starch and the protein, probably more importantly the protein, to make very elastic um complex so it's which hold a guess. A lot
0: of the science is debatable on whether the protein levels have actually increased in the wheat over the years. Are you saying that
1: the gluten content has increased? Not really too much. Yeah. But the quality has changed tremendously.
0: And what do you mean by quality?
1: Well I mean the type of protein that's there. Um, there's many different types of protein. Um, the, this grain that we're growing is a very close relative to durum. Durham is a um, pasta wheat. The protein in that is much different than bread wheat, which is um, designed to make, and it has been bred, to make the wonderful air bread that Americans have gotten used to over the years. And so they wanted bread that would rise, and they made the um, dough so elastic and so, um, uh, almost it had the resiliency of a a rubber balloon. The, The little cells became so, Strong with the protein that was in this dough, that they could hold so much gas that you could rise up a loaf of bread filled with air, and get many loaves of bread out of the same bucket of wheat. So
0: you're basically eating air.
1: Well, more. Yeah, more air
0: than. They're than selling bread. air for
1: wheat for bread prices. Right. That was what was happening with the traditional American white bread.
0: Right. So the different kinds of flour that they used were for that, but there were definitely you know that was for, uh, for for bread making and for pastry making they would use and there was always a little bit more gluten in that pastry flour than there was in I guess Wonder Bread
1: flour or sort of pastry flour right? But Well <clears throat> if you're talking about cookies and whatnot they want actually low protein in that because they don't want it to stick together okay. they want the cookie to go flat and if you have a very high-protein wheat you make a cookie out of it it's just gonna mm-hmm. say it's a glob it's holds together right. but with low protein it spreads out because it's not enough to holding it together
0: so when they started you know
1: kind of changing the wheat and kind of hybridizing the wheat to
0: meet our demands the the protein content didn't really change but the you're saying the kind of protein changed
1: is yes, right? yes, the quality.
0: Because so I, I always thought it was the, the amount of gluten changed whether it would rise or be able to withstand kind of that aeration kind
1: of bread, but I didn't realize it was the actual kind it, of protein. It's, it's the kind, the, the uh, Camus on wheat that we're uh, dealing with actually has much higher protein than normal wheat.
0: Right, I've heard twice as much.
1: Well, twice as many, twice second. as much in certain amino acids and that sort of thing, yeah. but probably 20% more if you're looking at the difference between um, 14 and 16%. Right. Um, the total protein in whole right. grain. Right. So it's always 2% higher in our farm growing side by side, just as a general rule. So it's higher, but at the same time, people who cannot eat modern wheat can eat this without difficulty at all. So it's not a quantity thing, it's a quality thing.
0: I read a study that I read in my book, and it was comparing uh, uh, Camus with uh, certain varieties of modern wheat. And, so many different varieties, thousands of varieties yes. of wheat that you just can't. you know, we say modern versus ancient. You're talking about thousands of different kinds yes. of modern, thousands of kinds of ancient. Yes. But one study showed that the kamut had twice as much of the gluten, but it had twice the reduction of inflammation, and it actually lowered blood sugar and mm-hmm. lowered the cholesterol levels significantly. So here's a study that showed that the gluten, the bread, or the, the grain with the most gluten. Actually, had the most beneficial effects. Mm-hmm. So help me understand what you know. camel' has got more gluten, more protein. To think we have a sixteen billion dollar <laughs> year gluten free industry. People yeah. are eating processed bread because gluten's the new poison. But how can help me understand how the bread or the grain with the most gluten is actually the best?
1: Well, again, it's all a question of quality. Yeah. Um, the The ancient and even the heritage and heirloom wheats have been changed so dramatically, as I mentioned earlier, just to make a bigger loaf of bread, and the protein is what's mostly changed. They've also changed the starch, so it's a charged protein complex that makes the the dough um, resilient and and, and rise better, but um, because the protein has been changed, now it's bigger, the protein is bigger, I mean not the the number of grams or more per loaf, but the individual molecules are generally bigger, and they're harder to digest. Because the body now is seeing something that they have not seen traditionally before. And it's bigger, more complex. It just takes longer to digest it. And some people who are on the edge of sensitivities then are triggered by that. And they have a lot of trouble with that. Mm -hmm. They have bloating. They have cramps. They get eczema. All kinds of things that are maybe not... They're not bedridden, but some right. are. Right. But mostly they're just small things that they can tell that something is not right. Talk to me about the difference between, because there are studies that show that the pesticides that we spray on foods yes. can yes. kill the microbes
0: that make the enzymes that are specifically engineered to digest the gluten or the glutens in wheat. So, so talk to me about the, the impact of the, the non-organic you know,
1: conventional grain versus the organic grain that you, you grow. Well, there's been some studies out of Canada <clears throat> which is finding that the effect of glyphosate, which is Roundup, which right. is very widely used, and we're finding it is so <clears throat> contaminating of the environment, we're finding it actually in the rainfall uh, now. It's falling on our land. We have glyphosate falling out of the right. sky in the rain in, in micro amounts, but measurable amounts. So that, for some people, causes. At least everything
0: s- has glyphosate
1: on it. Almost everything, yes. Almost everything.
0: Okay, so so I need I need to we I mean, have a lot to ask right <laughs> I
1: didn't mean I, to open up that camera, but no, it's no, true. I mean, it's we really need to talk about note. it. We no, need to talk need, about
0: it. People need to know yeah. because because we need to know. Like there's this whole thing of the you know using the the, the glyphosate as a desiccant to increase the harvest and the yield mm-hmm. at the end when it, so when it, at the end of the, the the growing season you spray glyphosate on it and it accelerates the 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 mature maturation of the wheat no it
1: kills it it dries it, it out it kills it out and dries it then
0: mm-hmm. you can harvest it right yeah is that how how rare how 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 frequent is that happening now?
1: well the further north you go the more it happens because people are anxious to get their wheat harvested before it starts to snow we're talking about
0: canada yeah i'm talking about canada
1: mostly yeah. um and even in montana and dakotas it's, it's not it's unus- it's it's not unheard of but it's unusual because we're normally harvesting in, in August, but if we get delayed by rains, I mean, you know, we're talking about climate change, what that's doing to us. I mean, we're getting, we got more rain last year than we've gotten in 20 years. It was a very wet year for us. It delayed the harvest. Mm -hmm. Um, It put, some of the people in our area did not harvest until December. Wow. Their last fields. And the way to wait till the fields were frozen before they could go in with their combines and harvest. You're telling me that based on how quickly and
0: when you can harvest, that the use of the glyphosate is a, as, a, as a
1: desiccant, right, is what they call it? Right. It's, it's a, a desiccant. It kills the plants right. on contact. Right. So all is plants,
0: that still happening as needed?
1: Yes. And in yes. the further north you go, where it's more and more common for the harvest to be occurring now in September and even into the beginning of October, well... As you go into Alberta and Saskatchewan, you can start to have snow in October, and you don't want really heavy snow on your grain.
0: This is only non-organic farms, right? Yes. Right.
1: But <clears throat> they're right next door to organic ones. Right. The other ones that are always, almost always desiccated, even in Montana, with the conventional farms, um, chemical farms I call them, are lentils. And if you look at um, the lentil harvest behind the cow mine, it's just a fog of dust of all these tiny little... Uh, particles of, of lentil chaff and, and, and plant parts, they've they're now um, come apart, and now they're floating up into the air, and they'll be coming down as rain, because they're so light, they go way up, and it's dust, just tiny dust particles, and that's, that's what we think, is uh, also another source of glyphosate going into the clouds, coming back as rain. So, what's your solution? You must have a solution. Well, of this. course. Organic is the solution. <laughs> Because but in the rain. Well, but, but if, if more people went organic, there'd be less glyphosate. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so yeah. We're, we're not going to ban it, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, although there's more and more work being done in questioning its effect, even, not only on wheat sensitivity symptoms, but also on cancer and all kinds of other things yeah. that they're starting to, to question. And glyphosate in its current use, and I don't know how hundreds of millions of tons, I don't know, but its, it's, its use has gone up, particularly with GMOs. Yeah. Um, and it's used with GMOs for weed control for right. GMO resistant crops now. How so it's the, it's gone up. How
0: about the BT toxins that they use for
1: corn mm-hmm. that they spray as a
0: pesticide? Does does, does that filter into the mm. into the weed or not resist? Uh, I just,
1: don't know anything about that. Okay. We're We're not in corn country. Okay. Um, we haven't seen that as a problem. Okay. Um, that's not uh, BT is not a it's a natural occurring yeah. substance so it's not like glyphosate which is and a man made toxin why is weed country
0: colder climates is cuz weed is a is is, is a hardier grain It can withstand the cold or, or cold? well is
1: it <clears throat> no that, well, there's a little of that, of course corn needs warmer weather than, than wheat, but they overlap, you know, and they overlap with, it's, it's more conditioned on water mm-hmm. availability. So where we go, we're in Montana, we're 12 to 14 inches of rainfall with no irrigation, yeah. no possibility of irrigation. We, our, our groundwater is all um, contaminated with salt or it has high salt levels in it, so we can never use it for, or for, really? for irrigation. Well, if you put it on your lawn five or six years, your lawn's going to start to die. Yeah. and then spots, yeah. um, although we, we drank the water growing up. I, mean, you, I couldn't taste it until I started drinking distilled water for several years and then I could taste the salt. Wow. And you know, the doctors told my wife, and they were expecting, I guess our third, uh, fourth, fourth daughter, they said, don't drink that water anymore, there's too much sodium in it. So then that's when we went to distilled water. But it, my grandparents drank it for over 30 years, killed them both, I guess. My grandpa was 97, my grandma was 93, I figured it was the water. So, that's what we tell people. That killed them? Yeah. At 97? Yeah. yeah. Give me, some, so that's just give me some, some of that water. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes we worry about maybe sometimes the wrong thing. Yeah. But it's right. there, and it's so, okay. but you can't use it for irrigation. That was the main point.
0: All right, so tell me about your research. You've okay. Gone, you've gone on a lot of research yes. on, on wheat and on Kamut. Me, tell me some of you did some. some well... Modern grain, modern wheat versus refined wheat versus Kamut. What did you find?
1: Well, <clears throat> actually, we started on this... About almost 30 years ago when people started telling us they could eat it and they couldn't eat modern wheat. And the one first time this happened, we were astonished. And we gave pasta um, samples out to this person and they gave it to, their, to, to her sister who couldn't eat lots of foods. And not only could she eat, including wheat, and not only could she eat this wheat, but after a few weeks of eating the Kamut uh, pasta, she was less allergic to other things. Hmm. Then we really got interested and looked at the whole grain in a whole different light. It was no longer a novelty for us. That's when we went to the trademark idea and got a trademark. And then we started trying to find people in America who would help us. And most of the research scientists, now we're talking about almost 30 years ago, they said there's no difference between your wheat and any other wheat. Wheat's wheat. If people think they're feeling better, it's all in their head. And they were no help to me at all. They just laughed at me. And so that was the... Um, the, that was the reception I got. It's a little different now. I mean, yeah. Thirty years has made a difference. But <clears throat> we ended up trying to look at glycemic index. We looked at just protein, um, uh, chemical makeup, uh, all kinds of nutritional factors. We found one thing we found was significantly higher the selenium. Selenium was higher than than in modern wheat. It's taking it up more in the soil.
0: More antioxidants. In yes. And so
1: index. I knew that. I suppose, that uh, the antioxidant capacity was going to be higher. And I finally found a team in Italy, um, in the University of Bologna. It's almost a 1,000 years old, so it's quite credible. And the University of Florence, who was very interested in doing research on this. Because you can imagine in Italy, if you can't eat pasta, this is a very serious thing. Right. And this yeah. is the days before any wheat-free yeah. or gluten-free pasta. I mean, it right. didn't exist. And, and in Italy, that doesn't really go much. Anyway, they are so finicky yeah. about their food. And it has to be just yeah. tough shelf, yeah. tough quality. Yeah. So we found this group, and I proposed to them to do this antioxidant um, test. And so they, we could afford just a rat study. So it was just a simple rat study. Half the rats ate... Um, we, um, the modern wheat in the form of food. So we gave them bread, not grain or flour. We gave them bread and pasta and also um, sourdough bread compared to yeasted bread. And um, then the other half had the Kamut products. And they were given the shot of Dox, which is, uh, used to be used to um, cure cancer, or cancer treatment didn't cure it, but it had so many side effects that it was discontinued. One of the side effects is that it created a lot of free radicals. And to, to measure antioxidants, you want to start with high-level free radicals and see right. how they're right. And And we found that the ancient wheat did decrease the free radicals much more, significantly more, than the modern wheat did. But what, and we expected that. But we wanted to get some numbers on it. And so we published uh, two papers on that. And then, just by happenstance, it sometimes works in science, somebody noticed, and looking at the um, lymph nodes and and um, um, pancreas and some other organs, that there wasn't any inflammation in the rats who had eaten the kamut um, grain. And that was very surprising to them because they right. noticed the other side effect, besides free radicals that this doxin creates, is inflammation. Right. And so they looked at the modern wheat and it was there all over. And so here we have a grain that for the first time ever was reported to be anti-inflammatory. That was enormous uh, discovery.
0: So tell me when you when you talk about modern wheat, was it what was it bread that was made like from the grocery store modern wheat or what was the actual? Because there's definitely diff- the, uh, different kinds of, of sure. bread. Has well, what bread we did, in it and cooked oils in it to keep it soft and.
1: Well, okay, that's a really good question. So what we did in all of our experiments, and we went human studies, we did the same thing there. Um, we had all the wheat products made um, as we. Asked And they were very simple breads, pastas, crackers, and we gave human uh, people um, flour so they could make some stuff at home. And um, they were instructed not to eat um, any other wheat other than what we gave them. They didn't know what they were eating. It was either modern or ancient. And we just arbitrarily said anything after um, World War II is modern, and before that is heritage or... Heirloom wheat. So it could
0: it be to play devil's advocate here? Could it be because I know most of the bread that's modern bread, even if it's organic, it has. If you look at the ingredients on um, really good bread, it's you know organic whole wheat, water, salt, maybe a starter. Mm-hmm. If you look at any modern organic wheat, even the best here in Boulder, you have the best yeah. organic wheat bread, sure. you know, but it's, the, the ingredients are just, you don't know, half the ingredients that got cooked oils, and those cooked oils that were linked to processed foods, were linked to congestion of your gallbladder, and the breakdown of your digestive system. Yeah. So I make the contention, for sure, and you see me, I'm all on board. But a lot of the inability for digest lots of foods and have such a, an overwhelming amount of food intolerances is because of the great breakdown of our digestive system due to 60 years of processing. Yep, 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 yep. And, and so I'm wondering, when you study modern versus ancient wheat, are we looking at organic? I know some of your, your studies were organic modern wheat, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But were they organic? process modern wheat mm-hmm. There's a difference, you know, yeah, and that, and that could continue <clears throat> to contribute to that because what happens? What I the research that I found is that when you have broken down digestion, the protein molecules and the fat molecules are too big to get broken down and into get into the bloodstream, mm-hmm. and they end up getting in getting taken up by the collecting ducts of your lymphatic system, mm-hmm. which makes sense that you saw lymphatic inflammation in your studies due to the, due to, the to the modern sort of slash refined wheat, yes. and it may be that 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 food big believer that that food, there's good science on it, that breaks down the digestive system, doesn't let you break it down, those foods act as irritants the intestinal skin, create mm-hmm. intestinal inflammation, and cause a lot of the symptoms we see as modern wheat, as, with modern wheat. For ancient wheat, and even if it, and I'm wondering, my question is, is if, if you had, you know, sort of modern wheat, that mm-hmm. was whole wheat, the whole wheat, as a, uh, that wasn't cooked in this refined way, with cooked oils and a bunch of preserves and additives, would that, I don't think it would have the antioxidant potential that your wheat has, but would it be less inflammatory or actually be less harmful as an irritant to the intestinal skin
1: and therefore digestible, or is mm-hmm. it still the processed version of the meat wheat we eat? What do you well, think? Well, that's a really good question. <clears throat> so, um, from our RAT study and, and, and stumbling on the question of inflammation or anti-inflammatory, we know that all chronic disease is linked to inflammation. Right. And so we started immediately then Uh, looking at chronic diseases. And the first one we looked at was irritable bowel syndrome. And that's a big one.
0: I saw that study you did. Yes.
1: And so, again, we're using organically processed stuff, um, uh, both modern and ancient, uh, minimally processed, minimal amount of of ingredients. And what we saw in the irritable bowel syndrome that every single person in our study, and again, it was a double-blind crossover study, both of them, Both sides experienced either modern or ancient weed, so it was a sort of a a self internal control. Mm -hmm. Um, And they didn't know what they were eating. It was double blind, so and the professors didn't know what they were eating until everything was done. And um, every single person had 50 to 100% reduction of their symptoms. Wow. You can't even, there's no pill on the market that will do that. So this is. You know, Hippocrates said 2,300 years ago that food should be our medicine, medicine should be our food. And this is a really prime example of that in action. This is something, no side effects and complete uh, better result than any medicine can do. So I think, but your point is well taken because if you look at, you can have an organic Twinkie for heaven's sakes. I mean, just because it's organic doesn't mean that it's really completely healthy. Certainly, you're eliminating the um, chemical inputs, and so there is a certain level of improvement. But you can still use uh, overprocessed foods or ingredients.
0: Because after I read your study, and he's got studies
1: on uh, with camu
0: supporting the benefits of getting preventing type two diabetes, Mm -hmm. irritable bowel syndrome, Mm -hmm. uh, inflammation, all these factors.
1: Cardiovascular. Mm -hmm. Cardiovascular.
0: So I did some homework, and I found that there. I found some studies that just took. You know, refined wheat versus whole wheat, mm-hmm. both modern, and I found that that actually protected the intestine and actually reversed the the, the inflammation that's linked to leaky gut syndrome. Mm-hmm. So I did find some studies. I, I am not in any way suggesting that modern wheat is as good as in ancient wheat that like came because I do believe that lots of things. The more we hybridize anything the less time we have genetically to figure it
1: out. Well, we don't know what we're doing. That's right. the trouble. We don't know. <clears throat> we don't know what we're doing. What we're doing now after seeing uh, the, inf- the inflammatory cytokines that we're measuring are up to a third um, reduced. Right. That is enormous yeah, that's difference. Just, that's huge. And that was that's more true. than the, any other things that we looked at. It was more than the reduction of cholesterol, which we saw, reduction of blood sugar in the diabetes. We saw um, reduction of... Um, of uh, the LDL, LDL, um, LDL is cholesterol, the bad cholesterol. All that was kind of bouncing around 8 to 10 to 12% reduction. Yeah. The, uh, the, um, the information was how what percentage?
0: Information? 35
1: to, to 38. I mean it thir- went 33 to 38, depending on which cytokine we're yeah. looking at yeah. and which test yeah. we're looking at. So now now I have, I'm working on another project, working on cell cultures that use human gut cell cultures, and trying to establish an inflammatory index so we can do the very thing you're talking about. Because I totally believe in what we've seen, in just one test hasn't been published or proven yet, but in one instance we saw a heritage grain that they were using in Italy, just constantly it was anti-inflammatory, just like the Khmut-Bankhorasan was. But in one of their tests it turned out to be inflammatory. And they couldn't figure out why. And then they went back and looked at all their records, and then here it is coming from a chemical field. So it was using chemical agriculture, and it had turned that anti-inflammatory grain into inflammatory grain. Okay. And so I think that we can move um, things on this index once we get it established, depending on how we process it. So certainly um, things like uh, sourdough, probably moves it into the anti-inflammatory range. Right. Even bad grain moves right. it closer Close, to that. Right. And maybe we could take good grain and use um, fast-rising yeast or other bad practices of processing and move it closer, or, 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 or chemical later. agriculture, yeah. and move it out of anti-inflammatory and inflammatory range. So this beautiful. is what we're hoping to we be able so to beautiful. find.
0: This is so important because there's so many variables.
1: Yes, there are. And that's why it's not just the seed. Yeah. It's how you grow it right. and then how you process it. What you
0: grow it in, how you
1: process yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And there's so many different ways and of processing. Of
0: course, processing. who's growing it? A farmer like you with such a great attitude, even epigenetically, there's even science shows that your emotions and how much you love your yeah. weed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love my wheat, yes. It's true.
0: I yeah. love my farm. You can tell. So tell me about, I mean, I want some camel bread
1: now. Like, okay, where well. Do, where hmm. do we get
0: it? How do do people get it? How do people buy, you know, where can they get it? Well, we have a website, Kamut.com,
1: and you can go on that and see what the products are, and then Mm -hmm. go to your local health food store and ask. In America, unfortunately, we don't have near as many as they have in, in, especially Italy. Seventy-five percent of everything we grow goes to Italy, because they've just taken it over like it was one of their own. And there's probably 4,500 different products on the market, but in America we only have a couple hundred of those, less than a hundred probably. But the health food stores, you can ask for Bob's Red Mill, for grain and flour, um, there's couscous and bulgur available now um, from California. Um, we have um, many different types of cereal, uh, cold cereals, Nature's Path, the Heritage cereals are mostly all Kamut brand wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, Eden Foods makes Kamut pasta. Um, several local bakeries make um, uh, some Kamut bread. Rudy's is making some here in Colorado with a mixture of, of ancient wheat, including Kamut. But there's some some great harvest bakeries that are making 100% Kamut. You just have to ask them. Right. And um, if, with enough demand, they'll do it. Wow, that's good. Now you have to help them get rid of the vegetable
0: oils that, that keep the bread you know, on the shelf longer and keep it squishy longer. Mm-hmm. Because there's really good science to suggest that that directly breaks down our digestive system, increases the risk of of uh, metabolic syndrome, which is blood mm-hmm. sugar, high blood pressure, belly fat, high cholesterol, low mm-hmm. cholesterol, by a whopping 141%. When People ate whole foods, including whole wheat, mm-hmm. they reduced that by 38%. So that's the other piece of the puzzle, is to fight for not just the right kind of grain, but but the stuff we do to it, like you said, to
1: make it stay on the shelf longer, stay squishy, and give people what they want. Squishy yeah We've got to over that. Yeah, we, we grow oleic safflower on our farm, and I know we need to talk about that because right. I don't know what you found in your research on that. But the Ohio Lake, um, and that's not all safflower's high Lake either. You have to have Ohio Lake, so it has to be 85 or more so percent tell me how you of the lake.
0: How, how does that work?
1: You, we just do? cold press it. So there's no processing. What's so the, the heat?
0: How, how hot does it get?
1: 100 degrees.
0: That's it? Yep. yep.
1: yep. And, and, and that's, on the, that's, that's in a warm day. And in the cold of winter, we don't heat our sheds but, um, where it's processed, but it's all cold pressed. And, and it comes out, and then we filter it through cloth and paper. Right. So all the antioxidants in there, the vitamins Still there. that are in the oil, remain in the oil. So,
0: how does it stay from going rancid? Oils are so delicate to going rancid. Not,
1: not if they're high oleic. High oleic, it, it's a monounsaturated fat, right. a fatty acid, right. oleic acid is. And so it's very extremely stable. So, high oleic safflower is sort of in, this is more like olive oil, which, which is. Yeah, it's tasty. even it's better than olive oil. Really? Yeah. It has higher. Tell o- us what. Well, it's more stable. Really? And olive oil, if you look on the, on the container, it says for medium heat cooking. Right. But for, for sure. safflower oil, it's the best for high temperature cooking because it's so stable. What's
0: the flash point on that? What, oh boy. Boom. It's
1: pretty high. It's pretty high. And then that's another indication in the smoke point is that it's so stable. Yeah. And um, we um, have found that our customers. Um, we supply all the oil from Montana State University and the University of Montana now in Bozeman and Missoula and they use it in all their kitchens right. and even though it came into them at a much higher price than their cheap oil, in the end, it lasted so much longer before they had to discard it, with it. and they can smell it and taste it when it starts to go bad, so right. they know when to switch it out. Right. And ours lasted so much longer that they actually turned out to be cheaper oil for them. Really. So that's really important um it's it's just like the the, the gluten you're talking about earlier there's all, just as there are all kinds of gluten there's all kinds of oils
0: so when you go to the grocery store and yeah. there's a whole aisle of oils and clear plastic bottles yeah and bleach deodorized refining yeah, no, oil don't buy bleak. that what is that
1: <laughs> well that's refined food again right and it's it's an industrialized result of an industrialized model of cheap food production don't most bread makers use yes, that probably. in Yes, probably, bulk? probably. Because
0: you're not going to buy the super expensive to put in the no. bread, right? well no, to-
1: but the really good ones will. Mm-hmm. Go. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, ask right. them, ask them. And you got to find those yeah. really good... And ask them the better. question, you know, what kind of oil do you use? Yeah. I mean, are you using the cheap, el cheapo stuff? Right. Cheap as you can get, or, which is not... Not good for you for sure, right. and or are you using stuffing that's more high quality and that we know it is good for you? Because the body, we need a certain amount of fat. See,
0: you need to promote.
1: Well, I don't tell you what you need to do. You know what you're doing, but but it's just, <laughs> well, I just feel like that people need to know.
0: We need to have a way to, for people to really understand. We can tell you can say like expeller press, organic safflower oil, and it could be junk.
1: Yeah, it could be because you right? could also be using. Um, high linoleic uh, right. sapphire, which isn't so good for you, right. um, for example. So, you really have to understand and know what the food quality is, and there's a big, big difference. And what we need to do in this country, I believe, is start to drive things into high nutrition instead of high productivity or cheap, which turns into cheap food. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: th- we should be looking at high quality instead of um, low price. Because in the end, that low price comes back and, and, and it's very expensive for you. Yeah. But people need to think of it in terms of long term. I invest, I wouldn't put the cheapest oil in my best car. Right. And yet we want to put the cheapest food in the most magnificent machine that's ever been created. This is, it's, it's, just, it's nonsensical. It
0: doesn't make any sense.
1: No, but it's, it's short term. <clears throat> yeah. And it's just a way of thinking. We think we can, we can't, we can't cut corners on our rent. We can't cut corners on electricity, or, you know, all these things that we need. Um, but food seems to be something that people think they can cut corners on, but it's not really true. Isn't it more
0: challenging and expensive for a farmer or, or, a, or a, you know, a mill to, to to mill the grain and separate, you know, the, the endosperm from the, you know, and, and, and separate, you know, the oil and the, and the germ? Isn't that, it seems like a very elaborate process. How does that happen? And, and why wouldn't you just grind it up and, oh, and you just grind up the this, this seed in your hat? You
1: know? Well, <laughs> well, originally what they wanted was long shelf life, and right. they wanted to be able to ship it. You know, all over the country, Absolutely. all over the world. So you take out the germ and the and the uh, brand. The brand's not causing it to deteriorate, but the germ is. Yeah. The, the oils in the germ will oxidize. Right. And and they will. Is that shorten it.
0: To get, I mean, isn't it? Seems like a very. I mean, I just. How do they get the germ out of of the? Well, that's process? what an
1: industrialized process. They've got that all figured out. So it's done very very cheaply on a huge huge volume, I mean, and very very some quickly.
0: Of the, some of the grain in, in his hat is like. Hard as rock. The, the concept, <laughs> the idea that they could actually open that up and take the oil out of that. Just the thought of that tells me that this is such a highly... Pro- Forget about just getting the oil out. Just yeah. getting to the
1: oil has well, to be such
0: a highly processed it, thing.
1: They have that all figured out. They yeah. soak the grain. They, temp, what they call it. Right. So they bring up the moisture. Right. And then they put it in their uh, big giant roller mills that reduce the size more and more and more. And one of the first things, the first crack, it pops the germ mm-hmm. out as a unit. So the germ is separated quite easily, Oh, really? actually. The bran has been more difficult to separate. Now, this is interesting that I found, and I'm not sure how many people that affects, but one of the things that they've done, I mentioned earlier, to the bran is make it harder so it's easier to flake off and leave more white endosperm to make more white flour. Well, now that bran is so hard that if you grind that up and add it back to make whole wheat flour, it's like grinding up glass almost because it's so hard. I mean, that's a little bit over the top but it's the idea that it's not soft anymore so when it goes into your when you eat it it's can be an irritant to your bowels right and so people so who right. are sensitive can be irritated by whole greed whole grain when it should be a healing thing to them but right. they've changed the brand now it's now it's not soft anymore to kind of be a, like scrubbers for your inside your intestines now it's more like little knives going through so and so- irritating it that that's can happen to some people depending so, so, on their so level.
0: How often does it take in, in, in whole wheat? Do they actually take the bran off the endosperm, the, the germ, separate them out, get rid of the, the germ, and then and then bring the bran and the, the and the starch back? Because that's what you're saying to make yes. whole wheat. You take it, separate it out, and put it back together. Yeah,
1: and they're supposed to put even the germ back. I mean, that's right. Both to be done, but it's not always done by the really? by, by the big commercial. People, they don't and put still it, call it whole wheat. Yes, and, there, and there's certain rules and regulations that allow them to be somewhat less than 100% of the original package and still call it whole wheat. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But if you're doing stone ground, for example, then it's all together, you can't so, separate that.
0: So, how often is whole wheat, you know, the, 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 the grain is actually broken up and then put back together? Is that all the time or only? It's all in- the
1: time with the big industrial plants. Right. But with stone mills, with um, micronizing mills that are cutting the grain into right. tiny, with, with hammered mill type, that they're crushing it. Uh, they're just using the whole grain. It's, everything going in is coming out. So it's really Mixed. back to the small farmer, back to the
0: small mills, and getting away from the big industrialized. Because well, whole wheat bread in the grocery store sort of looks like, I mean, that's been around forever, and that doesn't solve anybody's problems. Well, that's so the way it's done. Yeah, They could
1: do it, right? Yeah. They could do it, right? Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, so far, we've published 18 peer-reviewed journal articles on this subject. Um, Just the last five or six or so have been on human clinical trials, which are the most exciting and the most interesting to us. And now we're looking at at, um, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome. Um, We are finding uh, in, our, in our test for diabetes, we did blood analysis looking at messenger RNA because we wanted to see if we could see what was happening at the cellular level, the gene level. We don't really understand the mode of action of this yet. We really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are finding that even the genes that control inflammation are being stimulated by, ancient, by modern wheat, a diet of the modern mm. wheat stimulates those genes. It means that they're acting higher velocity, making more messenger RNA. That's what we're measuring. Mm-hmm. And the ancient wheat was actually depressing their activity. So it's actually act, acting at the cellular level right. in some yeah. of these aspects. Um, not all of them, probably, but at least that we were able to demonstrate that. And that paper will be published here in the next few months. Wow. So that's really exciting for us.
0: Yeah. Now, you're doing... Such good work, and and your farm now. How much how much camelot are you actually producing a year now?
1: All together, you mean the yeah. whole project? Yeah. Well, this year we hope to plant 120,000 acres. Wow, that's beautiful. Over and probably using, um, contracting with about 100 and or 250 organic farmers.
0: In in Montana, the 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 popularity <clears throat> of just organic farming versus conventional farming. How's that
1: going? Oh man, it's still in our infancy. Really. Um, so. Montana, we're, we may be approaching, we're over 1%. We may be getting close to 2 but nationwide it's only 1% of the farmers are organic. Uh, the demand is nearly 5% in the grocery store now. So, and yet USDA um, research, for example, is less than 1%. It's a fraction of 1% toward organic. I mean, this is, so the more, most of the research... So who's holding this up? Well, guess who's holding it up? The people in charge. The people who have something to lose if you change the system. And the system is um, industrialized chemical agriculture. That's the system. So I'm, I'm going to... I probably don't want to get political here, but I'm well, going to write to President Trump and say, okay, you claim... And, 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 and all your speeches talked about change and, and drain the swamp and giving people a chance for jobs right. and prosperity in this country. Let me tell you about conventional industrialized chemical agriculture my neighbors cannot pay their chemical bills they're going to go broke they're going to lose their farm some of them this is a tragedy they're going to lose the jobs will go away the small towns that they support are going to lose more jobs it's all diminishing diminishing and it's all based on the chemical industrial model
0: because they are addicted to having to buy those chemicals they don't know
1: any other way right and if we could at least one of the things, the government doesn't have to come out and ban all the chemicals right, right away. I mean, it would be chaos. Right. But they could increase the research money to help those farmers that do want to change know how to do it more successfully. They transition. Most, people, most farmers don't want to change because they don't know where to start. Right. I've gotten more calls for people to help, for me to help them change right. in the last six months than I've had in the last three years. So that, that's starting to change, but still there's no, there's no, the colleges are all geared to the chemical industrial complex. Um, there's very few that are doing organic research. There's just very few. And um, if we were, if you turn back the clock 120 years, say, and you looked at if the government was doing such a thing, they weren't doing it then, supporting research. Imagine if they were supporting the um, creation or an improvement of stagecoaches so yeah. that they'd be safer, more comfortable after the automobile had already been invented. Wouldn't there be an outcry against something like that? Yeah. It's the same kind of mentality we have now. The I, people ask me, does organic have a future? I tell them, organic, it's not that they have a future or not, they, it is the future. It's, so I say that it can feed the world. We know in third world countries, if they change to organic, they increase their yields three to, two to three times. That would take the pressure off of feeding the world. The chemical model can't do that, and who's going to pay for the chemicals in, in, right. in Asia, in Africa? They can't, they'd have no money to do that. But yet, most of those people in third world countries that are feeding three quarters of the world's population are doing it on small farms and small plots. And if they just added soil building and rotations, principles of organic agriculture to their their um, um, peasant farms, that they can increase their yields by double or three times. Incredible. So that's Incredible. the message. Yeah. In America, we can't. We don't see an increase over the chemical model, but we don't see very much of a decrease either. So the myth is that we're going to all be starving if we go to organic. That is just bunk. So we should all be
0: writing to our congressmen and women and telling them we demand organic foods and support and, and tell this government that we really need to, to let them know that we support farmers transitioning yeah. back to the way it was because and give them the way some it help. Is. Give yeah. them
1: some help to figure out the problems because there are problems. There's yeah. weed problems. There's, there's better ways of soil building that we could learn about. Yeah. If we spent a fraction of the of the money that we spent on chemical agriculture, on organic um, agriculture, we would have these problems figured out. And the yields would go up and become more stable. Um, Everybody wins. Yeah, this, everybody. Is the, this is the blessing with organic. In small town America, the money doesn't go out of state to some big uh, multinational chemical yeah. company. It stays locally because we're growing our own fertilizer. And, and we're growing our own food in some, fuel in some cases. Mm-hmm. We're, we're bringing back the oil that we sell to the um, University of Montana, Montana State University. We, we clean it, we filter it, and we put it in our tractor. We don't make biodiesel. We're making straight vegetable oil in our tractor and it runs just fine. So we're using it first for food, second for fuel, and we eliminate the whole debate on the food versus fuel use of our, our farm ground.
0: Wow, incredible. There's a study that you should go tell all your non-organic conventional farmers, they did a study with farmers breathing pesticide dust in their mouth, yeah. and it literally eradicated whole strains of microbes in their yeah. mouth that support immunity, yep. the ability to digest anything hard to digest, yep. like the wheat that they're actually yep. growing.
1: Yep. You know? And imagine what it's doing in your soil. Yeah, it's right. actually spraying it right on your soil. I yeah. mean, it's really hard on the micro- microbiology of the soils. We, <clears throat> the organic principle is that we feed the soil, and the soil feeds the plant. Yeah. So the chemical model is that you feed the plant.
0: Yeah. And
1: you don't pay any attention. They don't care what goes on in the soil. The soil is an anchor. Yeah. You know, it collects rain. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the idea. But, but if the plant needs some food, we'll feed it. And I'll sell you the stuff in a bag, and you can feed your plants. But the organic model is that we feed the soil. And the soil um, then becomes more viable, and that soil feeds the plant and keeps the plant healthier. Yeah. So there's less need for chemicals and fighting diseases and other things because the plants are healthier. Yeah, of course. And The chemical course. model, it's just the opposite. The plants are under more stress, they're growing faster, they're more uh, um, susceptible to disease. So you have to spray more chemicals to yeah. kill the disease. Um, with all the fertilizer you put on that's also stimulating weeds So you have to yeah. put on more chemicals to kill the weeds now you have resistant weeds now You have to put more chemicals on to kill the resistant weeds. It's just a, a, a Vicious cycle yeah. and the organic is not a vicious cycle. It's a it's, it puts you into sustainability And in a case that can go on for eons and everybody wins.
0: Yeah, I think people in our community maybe who listen to us They're so naturally minded, organic minded, I think this is sort of a a shock to hear how resistant, you know, our government is and farmers are and the whole industry is to to actually growing organic. You know, we always think that, hey, organic's coming back and it's a new thing, everybody's going to take, and it's really just... It's very small. It's still very small. Yeah, it's just amazing. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up here today?
1: Um, well, I just really appreciate you inviting me, john Let yeah. us share some of the things we've been doing yeah. um, if people have questions, they can find a lot of our research on our um, website as I mentioned dot com yeah and uh, we can we're continuing that we're always we think that um, orga- it's not just Kamut, but other organic or other ancient grains like emmer and spelt and the heritage wheats that were pre-World War II. They, many of those have similar attributes. Right. Uh, we're just focusing on this one because it happened to where we landed. You found it. got King yeah, Tut's grain. And so you can't, that's you, it. you, you
0: yeah. can't go anywhere else <laughs> once you have that, right?
1: Yeah. You know, the King Tut story, I should tell you. I don't know if we have enough. How many minutes we got? Very good. Okay. So anyway, I went to Cairo and I looked in the museum because I really wanted to know is this really out of the tomb? Because people would ask me. I said, well, that's what we are told. And I looked in the museum and some of the grain that came out of the tombs, and it wasn't that at all. It was like oh. einkorn. I thought, oh, man. That's, really? That's a downer. Yeah, einkorn has little styrations on it, and it has this particular shape you can recognize. Yeah. And I recognize it because I've know what i grown it, too. I yeah. know what it looks like. And none of it, our, our grain is very large with a kind of a hump shape and big on one end, small on the other end. So it's very easy to spot. Yeah. It wasn't there. So I was really, bah, deflated. But when I went to Turkey, uh, we were doing experiments in Turkey to see if we could grow it closer to our markets, which we, were, we experimented all over the world. We came back to the, north, the northern Great Plains, the best place to grow this. But anyway, in Turkey, they said, oh, well, we know this grain. We, we still grow this in, in small patches. It's not commercially available, but farmer's markets, you can find it. We call it camel's tooth because of the way it's shaped. Camel's tooth, and it's hard as rock. It is, so it, it's like a good tooth. Or right. they call it the profit Sweet." I said, oh, that's really interesting. Why do you call it the prophet's sweet? I said, the prophet's sweet. The prophet's wheat. The prophet's sweet, okay, good. So the wheat the of the prophet's sweet. Prophet. Oh, I like that. And I said, <laughs> why did you call it the prophet's sweet? I said, it has something to do with Muhammad because they're pretty Muslim there and that's what I thought they might be referring to. They said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, not that prophet. They said, you know, the one with the boat. And I said, the boat? I said, Do you mean Noah? Oh, yes. This is the grain Noah brought with him on the ark. And I said, wow, that's a lot better story than an old tomb story. So anyway, I went wow. to Armenia and they have the same legend there. Really? But this grain can because they Mount Iraq, you know, borders the two countries. And Armenians have the same legend. So you know, the good book says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, shall all things be established. I said, that's good enough for me. So that's wow. that's what we tell now instead of our tomb story, because I couldn't I couldn't um, find it verify are you, that. Are you gonna
0: change the name? Then Noah's no, no, well, well, we're with looking see,
1: see if they find the ark first. And that,
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe if we can find I a think little curl there. I know, it? but
1: you know, we, yeah. it's, it's just fun, yeah. but it's really interesting yeah. how the different um, yeah. paths have led us to different even legends and, and different ways of looking at this. And now the research, I think, if we can have a cell culture test, which we can do for, for around $100, if we can put that in the hands of every weak breeder in the world so that they could test not only for yields and all the things they normally do, but also for high nutrition right. and, and in, inflammatory properties. Antioxidants, yeah. Yeah, and, right. and well, this, and antioxidants are all tied together yeah. with inflammation, too. Yeah. And if they could kick out the grain that it's causing inflammation right. and focus on the stuff that's anti-inflammatory, right. we could change the diet uh, or the wheat available throughout the world and imagine what that would do to health.
0: I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of researchers are doing, always trying to find that one strain that maybe has less information. I have read a lot of studies about that and they're they're looking for that magic strain mm-hmm. but I, I don't know why they don't just settle on something that we've had around for It's not
1: it's not magic. It's already there.
0: Yeah, so I'm saying why yeah. don't we just start trying to reinvent and hybridize a new strain? Yeah. Why don't we go back
1: to what was actually originally there? Yeah.
0: Been? Makes good sense, right?
1: It does. I've been, I've been working with about 100 different new strains of whether well, not new. They're wild wheat from Turkey, uh-huh. but they're winter wheat strains. the corresponds to a spring wheat. So I was looking at some winter wheats and see if we can find some good winter wheats also. And um, some of them have almost as good as yield as some of our modern ones. And when did good
0: winter wheat and spring wheat really come out? Because the original wheat, you know, way, way back when, thousands of years ago, because I've got studies in my books that show that wheat was eaten three and a half million years ago. In, mm-hmm. in the grasslands, they found gluten in the teeth of ancient humans three and a half million years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was harvested in the fall for winter eating, and it was it. didn't didn't harvest again in the spring. It was a... It was a it was a fall harvested grain, amylase is an enzyme that helps us digest it, that increases in our bodies mm-hmm. in the fall for the winter eating, suggesting mm-hmm. that we are adapted evolutionarily to be able to eat wheat in season in the fall. Mm-hmm. So when did this, this, this spring, you know, winter thing well,
1: happen? Well, that's a little misnomer that we're talking about seeding time, not harvest time. Okay. So the spring wheat in the northern um, climates where we are, um, the wheat that cannot stand the winter, that's not... Winter hardy is right. only planted in the spring. It's also harvested in the fall. I see. But the winter wheat it's winter hardy, you could take some of those um, spring wheats, and if you go to Texas or the Mediterranean with them, like the Kamut, you can plant that in the fall. Yeah. And it'll go through the winter. But they don't have a winter like we know. Right. And and so then they become winter wheat. So it's a little bit of a I see. Where you are. Yeah. Where you so different wheats grow differently and have different characteristics. So it's not as simple as What's the hardiest? The hardiest?
0: The one that will actually last the coldest
1: winters. Oh, well, that again is something that they've bred and, ch- and selected. Okay. But if you go back at, at wild wheats and just, you can do your own selection. Ancient, ancient man did that. They made natural selections. Yeah. And all, another important point is that all those selections were land races, which means that they weren't a pure strain like what we're trying to do now with our breeding program. Right. We try to get a pure strain, like you said earlier, the magic bullet right. that everybody right. for. No such thing. The, if you have a, a, um, a land race with many different strains, they have many different characteristics. So if something comes in that uh, a cold snap and some of those types are less hardy or more hardy, it will kill out some but others survive. Some too, right. The disease is the same thing, right. and they're not all susceptible to the same disease. So it adds a huge amount of stability to the wheat crop. Yeah. And when you have a single strain, then you have a something that's of high risk. And those
0: are all considered ancient wheats, right?
1: Well, originally they all were. Yeah. yeah, And they still exist around in, in seed yeah, banks. Right. right. Um, they've been gathered in there. So, what you're scenario. saying
0: is that, that the original hybridization, the selection thousands of years ago, actually created a level of diversity that probably had something to do with the wheat lasting so long because it was more
1: resistant, right? Well, and also it gives the diversity to your uh, nutrition right. that you right. eat. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. So, anyway, Fascinating.
0: We could talk. Forever, <laughs> I'd rest love of the day. <laughs> to, I'd love to get into the to the actual details about about you know wheat and, and maybe we'll have to, have to have to have to come back. Well, that would be great. Yeah, we don't older. need
1: to tell the whole story in one hour. Yeah, right. Can't do that. <laughs> well, well, it's my pleasure. Yeah, John, really thank you for inviting me. An honor
0: to have you here. Yeah. Really, thank you so much. And please go to his website at kamut.com. Dot
1: com right? yep very simple A A M U T dot com
0: yeah go there and uh, see where look where under is,
1: um, health and then the second button will be research and yeah. that's where you can find all our research stuff yeah and
0: then to find you know some recipes of the products, some of the products be,
1: recipes and where to find it in your area yeah at least the stores or the, yeah. uh, the um, types of um, uh, products available yeah where and, your, and right, where, where your grain brand. is
0: actually being you yep. know utilized yeah you so can perfect. find it cool wonderful thank you all very much thank you thank you Hi, did you like this video? Do you like our content here at LifeSpa? You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash John DeYard right here and get this valuable content every week in your inbox. This recording is brought to you by LifeSpa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at LifeSpa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.